Blog Talk Radio. Author's Interview. I'm Van Carter. My guest is Sunbury Press author Joe Farley. His book is entitled Trumpet Call to Victory, The Final Years of Hazleton St. Gabriel's Basketball. If you like Cinderella stories, this one's for you. It's about a tiny Catholic school in Pennsylvania and its basketball team an incredibly successful basketball team that closed its doors in 1970. The very last game they played, well, let's let the author tell the story. Joe, thanks for joining us. Well, great great to be here. Thank you for having me. You were part of that team, weren't you? Yeah, the last, uh, I was, uh, I was a, a member of the, the last team in St. Gabriel's history, um, it was a, it was a, it was a great time. It was a great time to be a student at St. Gabriel's, a small Catholic school that we only had two varsity sports, basketball and uh, and baseball, and we only had about uh, eighty boys in uh, the classes nine through twelve, which is why we couldn't field some of the other sports like football. But we had a very very successful basketball program. It was a great time to be there. Uh, essentially, during the period of time that you were there, they kind of called it the golden age, didn't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. We won uh, we won three state titles in the last uh, five years of the school, um, and uh, two in succession. And then we had uh, uh, two years where, but one we went to the Eastern Final in the states, where we were beaten by one point, uh, and then the other one we lost in the diocese final. Um, and the next year we finished we finished with uh, by winning a, a by winning a state title. So yeah, we, we we considered a golden age. We had some great coaches there, including uh, Digger Phelps, who started his uh, head coaching career at St. Gabriel's. Yeah, that's pretty. And he and he came in and and really made a difference too, didn't he? Yeah. He, well, you know, um, he, he made a difference in the in the in the whole area, uh, Hazelton area, actually that section of Pennsylvania, Northeastern Pennsylvania, in terms of his coaching style, he was most of the coaches uh, in the Hazleton area at that time were from Hazleton. They uh, were, were guys that uh, had gone to school, got, in te- got teaching degrees. Cause at that time you had to be a teacher to coach, uh, came back to the area and they coached and uh, they basically coached the way they had been taught by previous Hazleton coaches. Bigger Phelps was from New York. Uh, had gone to Ryder College, uh, had gotten coaching experience there as a as an assistant, and um, and then came in uh, to Hazleton, and uh, well, he tells it in his book. Uh, he he compares his stint at St. Gabriel's to the movie Hoosiers uh, because he came in and uh, was decided he was going to press from the from the opening uh, tip uh, to the end of the game. And he says that the the folks in St. Gabriel's were saying, you're going to tire the kids out. You don't press until the fourth quarter when you're down by 10. And Digger said, well, you know, in his view, I'm going to press from the beginning, so I'm never down by 10 in the fourth quarter. And uh, his 
his emphasis was defense, whereas most of the coaches up there at the time emphasized offense. And uh, he really did uh, change the, the whole way and the, the whole manner in which uh, coaching was done in that area. And after Digger was hired, other schools actually began going outside the area to hire their head coaches. So it, it was the start of something. Excuse me. I kind of got a kick out of uh, sure. out of the fact that your 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 father had also played on the same team, and I, I loved his nickname, Swish Farley. Yeah, yeah, Swish. Yeah, when I was when I was growing up, they whenever uh, uh, his friends would see him, they'd hey, it's a Swish, hey Swish, and he got the name of course because uh, he was a, a great shooter, and they they the stories were that. Uh, when he threw one up there, it was pretty much guaranteed it was going to swish. And he was—he uh, played on the 1947 St. Gabriel's team that went undefeated in league play, won the first league title in the, in the school's history, um, and um, set scoring records that that stood uh, in the uh, at the school individual records that stood actually for 20 years. So that that was quite a team that he played on. Yes. Well, it's 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 always interesting to uh, to uh, enter an entire world of events with people living through them that uh, that and the events were huge for them, but we would never have known about it otherwise unless books like this were written. But you were part of this tale. <coughs> Excuse me again. It must be tricky. Uh, writing a tale that you're you're part of, but not the subject of. Um, it was it was tricky to a point, and you know when I started the project, I was I was only going to write about my senior year, the final year of the school. But as I got into it and began doing research, I thought I should cover that whole that whole uh, group of state titles and this, and certainly Digger Phelps' arrival. And so then I went back. And actually, the first chapter is a little history of basketball uh, uh, at St. Gabriel's. And then from then on, it gets into um, St. Gabriel's in from the, basically the last decade, but the emphasis being the last five years. Um, and I was, I was certainly a part of those last five years. And I, and I wrote it. I wrote it in the third person. I found that to be uh, the best way around uh, being part of the story. So I, I, I wrote it like uh, it, the parts where I quote myself, I wrote it like I had been interviewing myself, similar to the way I interviewed other players from that period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there were some comments that were made about you by others. Uh, one of your teammates uh, credited <laughs> your return because you had been out for a while because of uh, – well, I'm not sure if you even want to talk about that because you you uh, it sounded like you I I don't know if you had a temper or what, Joe. But <laughs> oh no, no, I was expelled. I was expelled. Actually, the way they did it was at the end of my at the end of my junior year. There were three of us. You know, this was the late '60s. Um, but there was a lot going on. Uh, we were high school kids. We were being influenced by things like Dylan and the Beatles and the protests and stuff going on. And we were kind of rebelling against authority, which is tough to do in a Catholic school. Uh, the nuns, we were taught by nuns except for two lay teachers. Um, 
the nuns identified three of us in the class as they thought the leaders and the, and the, the, the source of their problems and keeping us under control. And at the end of our junior year, they informed us, you're not going to be allowed back your senior year. So the three of us went to different schools and St. Gabriel's uh, started out the year, my senior year, I was at a, at a place called Marian Catholic. St. Gabriel started out with a few losses uh, in their exhibition schedule. And one day, three of the players from uh, St. Gabriel's came to my door and said, you're allowed back. We, we talked to the priests and da-da-da-da-da, and you're okay. You can come back. And I walked, I only lived about two blocks from the school. So I walked down to the rectory where the priests were, and I knocked on the door, and a man by the name of Father Doherty informed me, yes, you you can come back to school. So I went back and... Uh, and but that didn't mean you could. That again. didn't mean you could play basketball, did it? No, it didn't, because according to uh, the Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic Association, I was ineligible because I had transferred across district lines, and uh, the only way I did finally get to play was that at the time there was a Pennsylvania Inter- Interscholastic Athletic Association and a Pennsylvania Catholic Intersca- Interscholastic Athletic Association, and Father Doherty found in the Catholic rules that I would be eligible to after 30 days uh, to play against private schools. So I was eligible to play against three league opponents and then the entire state playoffs my, uh, my senior year. Because the playoffs were all the Catholic schools. Correct. Yes. Because at that time in Pennsylvania, uh, the Catholic schools had their own play- state playoffs and the public schools had theirs. Private schools couldn't play in either uh, at the time. Since then, since then, that's that's changed. In Pennsylvania, the it's all the PIAA now, so that all Catholic, private, and public schools compete against each other. But at I the did time, a it was research. Separated. Yeah, I did a little research on that because I was curious about it. It's, it just seemed that that. Uh, that St. Gabriel's, there were a couple of years there that those teams were, were so good. It's really a shame that they weren't able to play for, you know, the big enchilada at, at, at the state level. And they were kind of consigned to the, the Catholic League. And, and I noticed that it was only a few years later after you graduated that uh, the, 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 the Catholic Interscholastic uh, Association just more or less disappeared because because all of the uh, Catholic schools said, we want to play in the regular leagues. That's right. We want to play for the, the, the state title and compete against the public schools. And the fact of the matter is, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, since since that rule has changed, Catholic schools have done extremely well in the, in the state playoffs. As a matter of fact, a, a Catholic school won this year's state title uh, in the, in the, uh, top the quad a or whatever it is now uh so yes catholic schools uh, as soon as they were allowed to get get in and, and compete against the public schools the pciaa just faded out of existence well talk about how small saint gabriel's really was compared to everybody else well uh we played in in a league called the anthracite league and we were one of the smallest schools in the league uh, we also competed against Hazelton High School, which had, oh, somewhere at the time approaching 1,600 to 1,800 students. St. Gabriel's had, generally in the from in in grades nine through 12, although St. Gabriel's went from first grade to 12th grade, 
But in grades 9 through 12, those, those that would be eligible to play in sports, we had about 200, uh, 200 students. And like I said, about 80 of those were boys. So generally, like if you take Hazelton High for an example, they'd have 80 boys going out for the basketball team. Uh, and we had about 80 boys total uh, in the student body. West Hazelton was also a larger school um, that we played against. Marion Catholic was in the league. They were a larger school. Um, Jim Thorpe was a bit larger. Um, so we, we, we ended up competing uh, during the year uh, against larger schools, which I think probably helped us when it came to uh, playing in the States because in the States we were considered a Class C school because of our size, and we were playing against other schools uh, with similar enrollments. And the, the title of your book came from the school song. Yeah, it came from the alma mater, yes. The, uh, the trumpet call to victory, yes. That's one of the – that's the trumpet call to victory and fame is, uh, uh, is how the alma mater ends. And the, and the suggestion for the book actually came from uh, a 68 graduate of, uh, of St. Gabriel's who was uh, a co-captain of the cheerleading squad. So that's, that was basically at the time the only thing available to the, uh, to the females at St. Gabriel's was you could be a cheerleader. There were no female sports offered. Well, you and I are pretty close to, to being the same age and I grew up in Iowa and uh, we we played our basketball games also on Tuesday and Friday nights uh-huh. but I need I need you to explain something to me which which I uh, uh, really don't understand you talked about in the in the anthracite league where you played you talked about the first half and the second half, the first half championship, the second half championship, that, that, that is something I do not know about. I don't understand okay. that. Well, the way the league was set up was uh, generally, I believe, when I was a senior, we might have had eight teams in the league. So you, in the first half, you would play the other seven teams, and there would be a first half champion based on those games. And then you would start the second half and you would play the other seven teams again. If you had played them at home in the first half, you played them away in the second half. And then there would be a second half champion. And if the, if, if the same team won both the first half and the second half, they were the league champion. If different teams won, or there were ties, in other words, then there would be a playoff uh, to determine the league champion. And in the time I was there, uh, there were a number of playoffs. I'm trying to think. There may have been only, let's see, in the last five years. Oh, geez, well, uh, there was a playoff in all but, well, there were two years. No, one year that there wasn't a playoff in two years that, my, that there was, wasn't a playoff in the last five years. And then if you go back ten years, uh, there were playoffs in seven of the last ten years. Well, I mean, there were even playoffs for the halves. If if, yes, if two yes. teams were tied tie. at the beginning, at the end of first half, they'd have to have a playoff. They would have a playoff, yes. There was always, the, the schedule always had a bye week uh, built into it at the end of the first half. Uh, if, if the half ended on a Friday, there was no game scheduled for that Tuesday. If it ended on a Tuesday, there'd be no game scheduled that Friday. So in case there was a tie, the championship uh, for that half could be held on that day. 
Okay, okay. Another couple of things that that, that I'm curious about. Uh, Bob Farley was the announcer. Yes, my cousin Bob. Yes. Okay, that was that was my question. Was he related? And yeah, and he was my, there was an older cousin. There was hardly any mention at all of assists. Were assists even a statistic back then? Um, I can tell you that they were not like uh, like the, the newspaper always reported uh, high scorers and scoring average and uh, and things like that. Assists and rebounds were generally kept by each team on their own. So that, for instance, the, the, the student managers, the coaches would put them in charge of tracking rebounds and assists. So I know at least at St. Gabriel's, I can't and at Marion for the time I was there, I can tell you that those things were tracked by the individual team. I'm assuming that other teams did it similarly, but they, they weren't, it wasn't something that was tracked and reported on in the newspapers. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I'll tell you, you, uh, you guys out there in Pennsylvania were obviously a lot more basketball inclined than where I grew up because uh, <laughs> I was. I'm, I'm very interested in the Hazleton area, which is in the northeast section of the state. Uh, yes. the, the, ha- the town of Hazleton and, this, and the surrounding area was, was uh, fairly well populated. Uh, and, that, and I think that's one of the things that made the, the, your small school so astounding when it, as it did so well and competed against all of the, the larger schools. But, but the, these, these playgrounds, uh, these organized playgrounds that, that had paid staff members uh, uh, running programs and things, I, I, I'd never heard of such a thing. And so you had these summer league championships, which were a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah, Hazleton had a tremendous playground system. There were, well, at the time, I'm guessing 10 to 12 different playgrounds uh, throughout the city. And what the city did was in the summer, they would hire, as summer jobs, college students, usually a guy and a gal at each playground. And the guys generally ran sports programs. The gals generally ran arts and crafts programs. And the playgrounds competed against each other. And basketball was the, although there was a volleyball league and stuff like that, basketball was the main, uh, the main, uh, the biggest deal in the in the town, as far as the playground system went. Largely because each of the schools, like St. Gabriel's, we generally went to uh, Pine Street Playground. That's where we went as a team to play during the summer. Hazelton High, they, their team split up between two playgrounds, and West Hazelton had their own. Uh, so that basically, uh, when, you get, when it came down to the championships for the, for the playgrounds, it was generally St. Gabriel's players playing against Hazelton High School players. And those games, those games would draw hundreds of fans. They'd bring their lawn chairs. Um, literally, hundreds of fans would come to these championship games. In 1969, the summer of 69, I played for Pine Street, and we went to the championship, a three-game series. We won the first. We were playing against D.A. Harmon, which was all Hazelton High School guys, pretty much. And uh, Harmon beat us in the second game, and then we played a, the tiebreaker, and they beat us by five in that game. And to give you an idea of how important it was, the parents of the D.A. Harmon team had champagne waiting back at the D.A. Harmon players <laughs> who played on a neutral court. 
they had champagne back at the playground to celebrate winning the playground championship in Hazleton. Well, and, and another thing that came out of your book to show how serious these things were, the the, the refs were the, the local sports writer and, and one of the regular refs from the season. Yes, yes. Uh, Joe Barletta, who was who was a guy that used to ref in the Eastern Professional League. This, he was considered the top-notch ref in the area. And Ray Saul, who was the sports editor for the, for the Standard Speaker. Who, and he also refed, although he did... He ref kind of part-time and did junior high most of the time uh, because he was writing about the senior high games. But those two uh, ref those championship games. Uh, and uh, the paper, when they would uh, – because they would put in the paper these games were being played to advertise them, and they always noted who the referees were going to be. Um, and like I said, they, for a playground championship, we were drawing hundreds of hundreds of fans. Yeah, I've I've never uh, that that's all just totally new and and foreign to me. We had uh, as far as I know, we had nothing like that even in the larger towns in Iowa. Well, the wild thing about St. Gabriel's as well is we you know we had a very small gym in the school. And and Father Haggerty in the in the mid 50s decided that basketball was so important to the school, there was a large new gym in a, in another Catholic school called St. Joseph's. Uh, St. Gabriel's gym might have sat, middle, able to get maybe 400 people in there, maybe 500 standing. Uh, St. Joseph's would sit uh, close to 2,000. And we rented that gym. We'd practice there and we played our home games there. And it wasn't unusual for St. Gabriel's to draw 2,000 people to a high school basketball game at the time. Um, that was routine. Especially if they played a team like Hazelton, be standing room only. You could get. There were times there'd be twenty eight hundred people in St. Joe's. Well, Hazelton actually used that gym themselves, didn't they? Yes, they did. They played their home games there as well. They rented the gym as well, um, and they practiced there as well. Because when we we we'd practice right after school uh, for two hours, and as we'd be leaving, the Hazelton players would be arriving for their practice. So yes, they played their home games there too. So, what are what are some of your your most well? First of all, I want to ask how much trouble was this? This was quite a while ago. How much trouble did you have running down people to talk to about this to to bring it all back? Um, well, uh, not as much as you would think. Facebook helped, uh, and then there was there's a a group on Facebook of graduates of St. Gabriel's, and I was able to get in touch with people from each class to track down uh, players. And, you know, what the, the, the bigger trouble was when, when, when there was travel involved, because I would, went out to interview these folks and, and get their memories. And some, some of the travel uh, took some time, but, uh, but it was worth it. You know, I mean, we'd, uh, I had a, and I also tracked down players that had played against uh, St. Gabriel's uh, to get some of their uh, Memories about playing against St. Gabriel's at the time. So uh, the biggest thing was the travel. It wasn't hard finding the folks. Okay. Okay. Well, in, in your in the course of, of all of this, though, uh, your you and your team, uh, you know, um, met or were involved with some uh, fairly significant people. Of course, you mentioned Digger Phelps, who had his very first 
his very first job was at St. Gabe's, and you guys called yourself right. the G-Men. Yes. Although technically you were the Saints. Correct. I, fa- I found some of those. I found some of those uh, Catholic team names uh, quite interesting. What was it? The, <laughs> was it the Holy Rosary and and they were the beads. They were the beads. Yeah, the Holy Rosary beads. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> some some of some of those names were, but but uh, it confused me because you were you were a class C because of your size. But like what what was West Hazelton? They were class A. They were at the top. They were. Uh, with, and that's what confuses me. How, schools. how does how does that how does that work when you guys were in the same league? Yeah, well, it didn't. The Anthracite League at the time had a mixture of, of Class A, Class B, and Class C schools, and it was just, you know, the, the league, the league came about in the 1930s when there were a number of schools uh, that generally played each other but weren't in any league, and St. Gabriel's was among those. West Hazelton was among those. Uh, there was other, another Catholic school in Freeland called St. Anne's that was. Uh, also there, and then there was a private school called MMI, uh, mining and something mining and mining the mining and mechanical institute uh, was what MMI stood for. But that was a prep school, and there was no league, so they, these teams got I mean, these schools got together and formed the Anthracite League, and um, and the league endured uh, until. I guess into the 80s when uh, jointures began to close down a number of schools. Uh, St. Gabriel's, of course, is gone, and uh, St. Anne's is gone. Foster Township was a league member. They're gone. Freeland High School's gone. West Hazleton's gone. They're now all part of Hazleton High. Um, huh. And St. Ga- Hazleton, as a matter of fact, doesn't have a Catholic high school. Uh, they After huh. St. Gabriel's closed, there was a central Catholic, but that closed. So uh, the league uh, disbanded because all those little schools and or various schools in the small towns around Hazleton ended up being swallowed up by the district, the school district. But at the time, they just formed the league without regard for what, how big the schools were, what class they were, and it must competed have just each year some against of those, those same teams. It must have just killed some of those larger schools getting beat by you guys so much. Um, yeah, there was there was. Well, the I can tell you that the uh, the rivalry between St. Gabriel's and West Hazelton uh, yeah. was 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 really really an intense rivalry. Uh, cleared cleared the benches that, more uh, than once, eh? Yes, absolutely, absolutely it did. And um, yeah, there was there were some there were some uh, very physical games uh, when those two teams played against each other. Hazelton as well. Uh, there were times when the referees had to stop the action when Hazleton and St. Gabriel's were playing and basically caution the players um, and and try to keep things under control because they thought it was getting too physical. So, uh, yeah, th- th- those were some heated some heated times uh, during some of those games, yes. What's your biggest vivid memory out of all of this? My biggest vivid memory? Um I guess I got it. It's it's a personal one, and it has to do with when my senior year, 
we were playing a team called Wilkes-Barre St. Nicholas, and they were favored. They were really favored to beat us. They were. And let me just interrupt for just two. a second to point out, yeah. Joe, to everyone that you were, you were the point guard for this team, and you contributed uh, 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 pretty significantly. And there were there were games where you scored over twenty points. Yes, that's true. That's that's true. Although I was. Uh, I think my I think my my strength was actually my passing rather than my scoring. But uh, at any rate, and probably my leadership on the court was probably a strength because I was really one of the few seniors on that last team. Most of the most of the people that contributed were juniors. But but in this particular game, we were playing in the for the diocese title, which meant that the next game, if you won this one, you would go on and play for the eastern title. We were playing against Wilkes-Barre St. Nicholas. They were considered to be the favorite. They were 20-2. and two. They were averaging 80 points a game, giving up about 40 a game. And uh, we hung with them, although we were behind most of the game. Entering the fourth quarter, we were down seven. With 50-some seconds to go, we were down three and had the ball. And, and our coach called the timeout, Coach Jerry Anderson. It was his name. And in the huddle, he basically uh, – and, I, and in this game, I had only scored three points all from the foul line up until this point. And I he put this game on you in at the, that the, point. What's that? He put this game on you at that point, didn't he? Yes, he did. He said, in the huddle, he said, forget the offense, get the ball to Joe and let him play one-on-one. I had four fouls at the time. So the, we in, they inbounded the ball. They got the ball to me. I took the ball to the right side of the court, got past my man, went up for a jump shot. It went in. It was my first field goal. St. Nicholas inbounded the ball to the guy that I was guarding at the time, and he began advancing the ball up court in the dribble, and I'm thinking, God, we're, we're down to under 50 seconds now. We're down by one. I've got to get that ball. I've got four fouls. It's now or never. I'm either going to foul out or I'm going to steal this. So I made a lunge in front of him for the ball and stole the, the ball from him and went unimpeded in for a layup that put us up by one. They came down, uh, uh, their center got the ball around the foul line, turned around and made a field goal with 12 seconds left to put them back up by one. And I remember I ran and got the ball, inbounded it to a guy named Brian McBride. I stepped back inbounds. He looked at me and said, oh, no, I'm not taking it. Passed the ball back to me. I dribbled the ball up the court, saw the time left, and I was stunned because nobody came to challenge me. They were, I guess they were worried about fouling. And I just took the ball right inside, right inside the foul line on the right side, went up for a jump shot, banked it in, and we were up by one with four seconds to go. They tried a desperation heave at the end, almost scored, but a teammate by the name of Larry Walker blocked the attempt at the time or distracted the shooter enough that it fell off the rim, and we ended up winning that game by one point. And, Nobody uh, can ever take that away from you. Now, the sports writer described it as the most miraculous victory in the history of our school. So that's kind of, that's kind of a vivid memory. <laughs> and uh, I've been... I can remember the St. Saint, the Saint Nicholas fans. There were loads of them there on the one side of the gym. I can remember them. They were stunned. They were sitting in stunned silence at the end of that game. And as a matter of fact, we went into the locker room, and our coach had to go to the bathroom. First, he threw me the game ball and told me I could have it. But then uh, he ran into the bathroom, and we decided to go over to the St. Nicholas locker room and congratulate those guys on the game. So he comes out of the locker room, and none of us are there. He thinks we were called back to the court 
because they, he thought maybe they had called a foul after all on the last play on the guy that uh, blocked the shot. He goes back out and he told me that even after that amount of time, nobody had moved in the St. Nicholas side. Those fans were just still sitting in stunned silence in their, in their seats. I've been talking with Joe Farley about this book, but you need to know that this isn't his only book. He's co-authored over a dozen other books that explore the cemeteries and pubs of Pennsylvania in search of interesting graves and stories about them. He's a Pennsylvania guy. Thanks for giving us some of your time, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You can find this book at Amazon. Barnes and Noble, and other booksellers. If you like David and Goliath tales, this is for you. Joe Farley is the author. The book is Trumpet Call to Victory. This has been the author's interview from Sunbury Press.